Hello, and welcome to a podcast on change leadership, oxymoron, and myths from the Journal of Change Management. Uh, So this podcast will focus on um, the change leadership oxymoron and myth article from the change leadership and communication module three. Uh, The authors of this article are By, Hughes, and Ford. So real quickly, uh, in contrast to some of the other articles that you'll read for this module, um, if you've already read them, you should have read two Harvard Business Review articles, which are practitioner articles. And I talk about at the beginning of each of those that the purpose of HBR articles is really written for managers and practitioners to give them how-to guides to be better managers, right, and to, to enact change in their organization. The Journal of Change Management, from which this article uh, arises, is an academic journal. So uh, it's written primarily... Um, the hope is that business leaders will read these articles and, and implement um, best practices based on these articles. But the truth is, a lot of times academics read these articles, right? And then if those academics serve also as consultants, and they hopefully take that knowledge into the workplace, and you see that knowledge proliferated. That doesn't always happen, and that's a, a problem for another day. But needless to say, the Journal of Change Management, a lot of your managers and executives in organizations are not reading the Journal of Change Management. Um, But this particular article is not uh, an academic piece in the sense that it's not empirical, but it reviews some of the empirical research-based work that's been done on change leadership. And it, uh, the authors make the argument that some of the other literature on change management, things like the Harvard Business Review articles and a lot of the popular press books out there on change management are actually um, flawed in some of their assumptions. And so these authors would probably disagree some with Cotter and, um, and Johnson, two of the other authors that you read in, in the other articles I assigned. So jumping right in, I'm just going to do a real quick overview of this article, uh, talk about some of the points in it, and uh, so you can kind of see some contrasting views to what you read in some of the other articles that I've assigned, right? So uh, as it starts out with the introduction, um, down toward the the end of the first page, the authors state, we're still founding many of our conversations on assumptions or accepted truths, the only purpose of which is to reinforce the already thick walls of our own silos. These assumptions are hindering further development of our field. So basically they're arguing that we have some kind of assumptions we made about how change happens and how leaders impact that change. And we pretty well established that we just believe that's the way it is and are marching forward. And their point is we need to be questioning some of those assumptions because maybe the data is not there to support what we've always assumed, right? Um, The best practices that we've all kind of done over the years, maybe not based on actual data, but rather based on some of our own experiences and what we've heard other people say. For example, uh, one example of such an accepted truth is our constant reference to the claim that 70% of all change initiatives fail. I've actually heard that in some talks that I've attended. Uh, We do this despite Hughes uh, in 2011 uh, having discredited the claim in his article. Other thriving assumptions are that leaders and managers are not employees. Hence, we keep referring to perceived and often created conflicts between management and non-management employees. And by doing so, we're supporting a confrontational us-versus-them stance, culture within organizations. So again, what they're saying there is that, um, if you recall from the Cotter article, 
there is a lot of emphasis on initiators and resistors, and typically the initiators of change are seen as leaders and managers, leaders more so, and uh, the resistors are management to a lesser degree and rank and file employees to a large degree. And so these authors would say that there's not a lot of evidence to support some of that. So they think that's more um, kind of our perception than based in maybe um, empirical fact. They also say that you know a common belief is that leadership is role specific. That is, we need formal management and leadership roles in order to perform leadership. So you know when we talk about who the initiators of change are, you know it doesn't necessarily have to be someone in a high formal position of authority. But Cotter definitely, when he talks about coalitions, talks about the importance of having, you know, uh, strong political allies and people with um, formal authority in the in the role of change agents. Um, and these authors would say, you know, maybe that's not always the case. Um, lastly, leaders and managers are change agents, not manager employees resist change. Again, I, I think I mentioned that. Um, so uh, anyway, the authors believe. I guess that leadership is really more of an action than a person and that people at any level can lead change and I don't know that Cotter and others would disagree with that but that's certainly not the direction that they tend to promote uh, in their writings so anyway moving on um, the authors state that it's telling the most frequent theme within leadership articles published in the Journal of Change Management has been developing the competence and the capability of the change leaders. So again, the focus is on how do we make the leader more capable in order to make the change successful, as opposed to um, you know, what do we have to do about the change itself to make it more successful, or who has to be involved in the change. It's really more about if the leader at the top is capable, um, the change will be more successful. So it's really very much person-focused when they talk about change management um, and much of the popular press and, and self-help Harvard Business Review articles. Um, one way you can evaluate how uh, academics and practitioners are viewing a topic uh, in terms of uh, you know what the, what the prevailing wisdom or the views on a topic are is you can look at who is popular, who is most commonly being cited, right? So when, when someone gets up to speak at a keynote address and they talk to you about change, who are they, who are they using as their resource, right? When they say 70% of all change efforts fail, where are they getting that? You know, who is it that they're citing? Who are they reading? What are they looking at? And if you look at the data, the most popularly cited um, work, could be an article, could be book, um, about change, is uh, Leading Change by Cotter, 1996. That's Cotter's book. The book is based on his article, which you guys read, John Cotter on Leading Change, Why Transformation Efforts Fail. The book was written the year before. I mean, the excuse me, the article was written in 95. The book was written in 96. The article is the number one cited uh, source on change. Um, the book is number one. The article is number two. The number three cited uh, work on uh, change efforts in organizations is Transformational Leadership by Bass and Riggio 2006, which I did not have you read, but that's a great uh, read if you, if you want to take a look at it. The point of all this is to say that Cotter's work on leading change has for a long time been seen as the, uh, the most uh, commonly cited, most referenced work 
on change. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except Cotter's work is not, it's not an empirical piece, right? It's based on his own experiences, it's based on case studies, anecdotal evidence. So there's not a lot of research backing up some of Cotter's recommendations. It's more, you know, common sense wisdom and experience he's had. Um, so uh, with that being said, um, weaknesses in Cotter's account of leading change include like I said, employees being depicted as resistors, ethics, power and politics being under, uh, underplayed, and overemphasis over on taking a sequence of linear steps. You know, Cotter says you can go through steps one through eight in a row. Disparaging um, history, limiting the potential for learning, a lack of appreciation for incremental change. All these things are in the article. Basically what they're saying is, um, Hughes makes the argument that there's a lot of things in Cotter that are not based on, like I said, um, research and data. And so uh, he questions whether or not we should be accepting them fully without vetting them um, more stringently. Um, also, they point out that um, at the beginning of the uh, revised edition to Leading Change, the Cotter book, it was revised in 2012, it's really the same book in a lot of ways, just some new imagery, um, new preface. In the new preface, uh, Cotter writes, the material in this book is not only still relevant now, 16 years after I was published, but I believe it is even more relevant. And for, for one reason, the speed of change continues to increase. Uh, and again, these authors would say, you know, is it more relevant? I mean, the original piece was written in, in 95, and not much has really changed since then. Uh, in terms of what was in the book, but the world has changed a lot, and so maybe maybe some of the recommendations that Cotter makes are not um, uh, as grounded in, in, in facts and in data as maybe we suppose. So anyway, that would be their criticism. Um, moving down uh, the page here, Leaders, leadership and change are inextricably intertwined. However, organizational became, has become an interest for organizational consultants more so than for empirical researchers. So why is it we don't have more data, right? We keep saying a lot of the things that are written, like Cotter, are not based on data. Well, why is that? Well, um, because the people who write the most about organizational change are consultants, not academics. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. One of them is research on change is probably more difficult than research in some areas, so there's probably less research done. I think probably a bigger reason is that consultants um, are trying to uh, meet the needs of their clients, and so clients are concerned about change, so consultants are concerned about change, whereas academics, um, they don't have a client who's concerned about that. So the consultants are going towards what the marketplace is demanding, and so the consultants are writing and, and, and talking about change efforts, whereas academics maybe are not. So the bottom line is research on change has not been keeping up um, some authors, Ford and Ford and 12, took on a review to see what empirically has been done uh, in recent years to study change, and this was their, their take. There is simply too little empirical research that specifically addresses the leadership of change to warrant a prescription for what works. Ta-da! We find the available research equivocal and incomplete regarding both what constitutes effective leadership and the impact of change leader 
and the impact of change, leaders, approaches, behaviors, and activities on change outcomes of any type. The weakness that they encountered within the literature included an overemphasis on the role of the individual leader, the use of subjective assessments of change implementation, single data point collection in many studies, and a vocabulary which added the confusion and vagueness. So what does that tell you in the end? It tells you that we just don't know what works. Like we can tell you, hey, I used this like Cotter does. In these organizations, I've used these stages and it worked great. But was that just a function of a small sample? Like in the organization, maybe he only worked in Fortune 500s. Maybe he only worked with large change scale. Maybe he only worked with, um, you know, organizations that were uh, tech related. You know, I don't know. But my point is, we don't have a lot of data. We just have people's individual accounts and we're using that as our, our basis for expertise. Um, they, the authors go on to say that today we seem to be awash with heroic leaders yet we know far too little about change leadership and until we acknowledge the crisis nothing's going to change. Um, in fact at the end of the article I like this quote by um, Mark Twain. Um, Twain makes the observation it ain't what you know that gets you in trouble it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So part of our problem is we kind of have assumed for many years that we know what's going on in change leadership and organizations. But based on a review of the actual empirical studies that have been done, that's really not the case. We don't have that kind of data. Um, so they go on to, to, to mention three specific myths of change leadership that they think are worth pointing out. Um, and so I'll go over those real quickly. Um, the first entrenched myth that needs to be addressed is that it's the individual leader that counts. We've already talked about this, right? Um, they really point to the fact that uh, the effectiveness of the individual leader is seen as the, the whole key to change. And I don't know that that's always the case. Uh, myth number two, um, they argue that uh, it's oftentimes thought that leadership is enough and they differentiate even leaders from managers. You may have seen or heard this before. Um, <clears throat> for many years there's been a distinction between leaders and managers. Leaders are typically seen as those who have vision and are looking to make changes. Managers like things the way they are. They like status quo. They like efficiency. They like repeatability, right? That's what a manager values. And so there's this dichotomy between a leader and a manager. And I think these authors would say there may be some truth to that but probably not as much as we like to believe. And they would say that really, in order for change to be effective, managers are who has to be involved. And that a lot of times managers can be initiators for change and want to see changes. And so to kind of make this um, blanket statement that it's leaders that do change and managers that maintain the status quo is not really, um, is not really an accurate representation. And then lastly, one size fits all. Um, there's this belief that all change is the same, right? And clearly that's not the case. You know, most of these heroic myths about leaders would suggest that if you take a great leader like a John F. Kennedy, they can be successful doing change in any environment. That, it's, that, that their skill set and their behaviors, it's the same skills and the same behaviors no matter what the environment. Um, these authors would say, the behaviors and the skills may differ depending upon the circumstances in which you find yourself, the type of change, the challenges that are facing you. Um, they point out that change can range from a short-term alteration to highly complex long-term transformation. 
Um, they can be, you know, individual. It can be groups. Um, and it can be distributed. It could be more centralized. And that all these things affect the type of, of um, leadership behaviors that you would need to engage in in order to be successful in change management. So that's basically the article. It's just kind of a retort to some of the, um, or rebuttal to maybe some of the other uh, thoughts on change management. So I thought you should get the other view, right, that there's a different view to some of this. So um, hope you enjoyed that article and, and uh, happy reading.